been done. Um, my name is Barbara Rue, and I'm a deacon here, as well as a volunteer in many capacities. And it is just my blessing to bring the message to you this morning. And, um, and, and we think of uh, Pastor Bill while he's away. You might have come here or listened online to hear a spiritual message. But what I'm going to start with is a lesson on how to build a dry stone wall. Just in case you might want to build one. A dry stone wall is a stone wall that is built with no mortar or concrete. We see this type of wall all over New England. This is what you do to build a dry stone wall. Prepare the project. Mark and clear out the area where you'll build your wall. Gather the stones that you'll use and separate them into the large, medium, and small stones. Step two. Lay your foundation. Begin by digging a level trench. Select the perfect stone for your cornerstone. Select other large flat stones to be your foundation stones, aligning them with the cornerstone. Step three, build up each layer. Start with the larger stones. Choose and place your stones carefully. Look for stones that fit well together. Build up layers of stones getting slightly narrower, making sure the stones touch and covering joints in the, in the layer below. You may need to chisel a few stones to make them fit well. Step four, keep the wall stable and straight. This is pretty important. To keep the wall stable, check that the wall is plumb with the foundation stones. Place through stones, they're called other things as well, at regular intervals. Through stones extend the width of the wall from the front to the back, and they kind of lock those stones together. Fill in gaps between the larger stones with smaller stones, which helps bind the wall together. Step five. Finish the wall. For the final course, use capstones to complete the wall, keeping these stones at the same height. If the stones are well positioned, the wall will be secure and there will be no need for mortar. All should rest secure on the foundation stones. I wanted to consider the process of building a stone wall because it sets the foundation, so to speak, for Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. In, in verse 5, uh, Peter says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. And I see parallels between the construction of a stone wall and your placement and function as living stones in God's spiritual house. The main point, that I want to leave with you is that believers are living stones in God's spiritual house. And the way I'll break this down is by talking about stones that are built up, built on, and built to. That's built up, 
built on, and built to. And I'll flesh this out looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. First, we'll look at stones that are built up. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 5 says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I'll consider stones that are built up as a spiritual house. Because of our relationship with Christ, we ourselves are living stones. The stone analogy was used to describe Jesus and Peter as well. Jesus is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. In Matthew chapter uh, 21, chapter, chapter 21, verse 42, Jesus likened himself to a rejected cornerstone when he quoted Psalm 118, verse 22, which is a verse Peter quotes as well in this passage. Peter is a stone too. Paul said in Ephesians 2, verse 20, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Peter's one of them, with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said to Peter, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. There are different ways these words are interpreted. Regardless, Peter's name means rock, and certainly Peter was one of the building blocks of the church like the foundation stone in a stone wall aligned with the cornerstone. I appreciate the tense of the verb in verse 5, which says the living stones are being built up. We're not just stones, but we're stones that are in the process of being built and built up. I imagine the stonemason choosing the stone, finding just the right one, trying to make it fit in just properly, making sure it's secure and making sure it's in place and lined up with the cornerstone. And what is being built up is a spiritual house. Way back in the Old Testament times, God's people would have thought of God's spiritual house as a tabernacle, later replaced by the temple, but now it's the church. The place where God dwells is in the church, in the collective body of believers. This is important. The church is not the building, it's the people. But you can symbolically think of it as a stone church. I saw a children's lesson where there was a picture of a stone church. Not this one. This one actually, it was a, a, a little chapel that my husband and I could walk to from our, our previous home in Sudbury, Massachusetts. Um, but this, this assignment for children said, asked the question, if you were a stone in this church, which one would it be? 
Kids might say, oh, I want to be the big one or the pretty one and not the one on the bottom. But I have to say I like this question because it helps me visualize myself as a part of something bigger than myself. You and I are living stones in God's spiritual house. You and I are building blocks for the church. We need each other. We support each other. And together we are part of something pretty amazing. The place where God resides. It's not the building where God resides. Rather, God resides in the collective body of believers. I can't stress enough the importance of realizing that you are not a solitary stone. You're part of the community of believers. This may not be easy for a number of reasons. First off, our culture is highly individualistic. We're often more concerned with whatever is best for me and give little thought to what is best for the communities that we're a part of. Even when choosing church activities, I find myself picking things that benefit me rather than thinking about things that are best for church or best for the kingdom of God. Secondly, the pandemic seemed to push us further into individualism as we have health reasons to stay at home and have technology that makes it easier to watch church remotely. Third, I think being a part of a community of, of people who think differently is hard. And even if the people we interact with think similarly, interactions can still be, leave us hurt, frustrated, or angry. And finally, some of us, and I'm in this camp, just don't have a natural inclination toward community. Some of us are introverts. For me, being part of a community and being part of that stone wall takes effort. I should add that being part of a Christian community is not just about whether you attend service in person or not. Um, I have to share with you about one college church member who touched my heart. That member is not able to uh, participate in church in person right now at this, uh, for, on Sunday mornings. But when my husband's father passed away this past summer, that church member sent my husband a card. That meant a lot. I don't even think my husband had ever met this individual, yet we received a card when we were going through a rough patch. And that meant a lot. That to me was an example of one who was a living stone in God's spiritual house. I also have to say um, there was a time uh, when I really, I, I was a regular church member, but I really was more a pew warmer. And I had little involvement with the church community. Now I make an effort to intentionally invest in my church community. And I think the key is to find the way that fits my personality. What does that look like to you and your personality? The cool thing is that the Lord has given each of us gifts. Gifts that we can use with, one, with our own person, personal uh, personalities and our own life experiences. Ways that we can build up each other. You can think of it as a specific, like the specific list of gifts that are mentioned in the Bible, 
but I like to consider it more broadly as anything that, can, that I can use to benefit others. It might be volunteering to put away chairs or sending a text to a fellow believer who is going through a tough season or offering a meal to somebody. Stop by the connections table and, um, and, and they can put you in contact with a way that you could help out. Believers are living stones in God's spiritual house. And one way that plays out is by using the gifts God has given us in supporting each other. Okay, we've talked about stones that are built up as a spiritual house. Now I want to talk about stones that are built on, the, built on the cornerstone, looking at verses 6 to 8. Peter continues his stone metaphor by talking about the cornerstone. Even though we are not first century stonemasons, we understand the importance of the cornerstone and how everything needs to be aligned to that stone. Peter highlights three Old Testament prof uh, prophecies. The first is a paraphrase of Isaiah 28:16. Behold, I'm laying a, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Clearly this points to Jesus, prophesied ahead of time, chosen and precious, and laid in Zion to redeem Israel. The second and third prophecies from Psalm 118.22, which I actually referred to before, and Isaiah 8.14 mention the rejected stone. Peter says in verses 7 and 8, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Again, clearly pointing to Jesus, who was rejected and even killed by the religious leaders. To the religious rulers, Jesus is a stumbling block, a stone to trip over. Eugene Peterson amplifies this even more by saying he's a boulder blocking the way. Interestingly, it was the ultra-religious that found Jesus a stumbling block, while the spiritual outsiders were drawn to him. That reminds me not to assume that being religious and going to church equates with an authentic relationship with Jesus, a relationship where we allow Jesus to surprise, stretch, teach, and even lead us. And that prompts the question, do you feel like you are being fit into Jesus' wall? Or do you feel like you are tripping over him and other stones in the wall in irritation? Is Jesus the cornerstone to build your life upon? So we've looked at stones that are built up as a spiritual house and built on the cornerstone. Now I want to look at stones that are built to. But before I get into what the living stones are built, are, are built to do or are, are to do, I want to remind you of who you are. Peter says in verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people of his own possession. All these terms in this verse are from the Old Testament. A chosen race. Like Israel in the Old Testament times, believers become God's chosen people. Second, believers become a royal priesthood. 
There is no separate priesthood. Every believer is a priest. They are a holy nation. Holy means set apart. And they are a people of God's own possession. Think of the most cherished possession that you own. Like the first thing that you'd grab if there was a forest fire approaching your house. What would be your chosen possession? And think how much more God cherishes you. And to top that off, remember where you came from. Verse 10 says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The things that Peter says here inspire and encourage believers who need hope. But don't rest on that praise. Before our head swells too much, considering ourselves chosen, special, and precious, which is a great thing, I want to remind you of the verses Peter seems to echo, which are Exodus 19, verses 5 to 6, and Deuteronomy 7, 6. Moses also said that the Hebrews were God's treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and chosen. Moses wasn't saying God chose them and they would just be pampered. Moses used these words in Exodus as he established the Mosaic Covenant and asked them to walk in obedience, and in Deuteronomy to prepare them to do the very hard job of entering the Promised Land. They weren't chosen to be puffed up. They were chosen to do what God wanted them to do. I feel like Peter is doing the same thing here. He's preparing his listeners for what they are to do. So what specifically is Peter saying that they are to do? He says that they are built to declare his excellencies. What does that mean to declare his excellencies? I feel we, the church, are to proclaim the praises of God. We are to be a people who point to God. And I don't mean just having a billboard out front. We need to proclaim God's excellencies in word and in action. I heard this question. Do people get a sense of who God is like by spending time with us? Are we proclaiming his excellencies by our lives? I couldn't help but think of John 13, verse 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We need to proclaim his excellencies in word and action. I want to share with you something um, I read from Chuck Swindoll, um, who was a former Marine. He wrote the following. An old Marine buddy uh, became a Christian several years after his discharge from the Corps. When news of his conversion reached me, I felt more than pleasantly surprised. I felt thoroughly shocked. He was one of those guys you'd never picture as having an interest in spiritual things. I mean, never. He cursed loudly, drank heavily, fought hard, chased women, loved weapons, and hated church. Know anybody like that? He and God weren't on speaking terms when I used to bump around with him. 
Then one day, years later, he ran into, we ran into each other. As the conversation turned to his salvation, he frowned, put his hand on my shoulder and admitted, Chuck, the only thing I miss is that old fellowship all the guys in our outfit used to have down at, at the base tavern. Man, we'd sit around, laugh, tell stories, drink a few beers, and really let our hair down. It was great. I just haven't found anything to take the place of that great time we used to enjoy. I ain't got nobody to admit my faults to, to have them put their arm around me and tell me I'm still okay. My stomach churned, not because his words shocked me, but because I could only agree. The man needed a refuge, someone to hear him out. He needed the family of God, not a rehearsed, staged, impersonal production that too often passes for church. He needed the body of Christ, brothers and sisters of faith, who will laugh with him, cry with him, understand, and accept him. Struggle with him, suffer with him, just be his friend. When God's family forgets his call, the, its call to authentic living and genuine love for each other, it fails to live up even to the camaraderie of the local bar. What does our church look like? Are we loving each other better than the guys at the bar? Are we declaring God's excellencies both in word and action? And are we modeling Christ's sacrificial love as we stand side by side with believers who are different from us? How are we doing at being living stones, being built together in God's household, reflecting his love and his glory? Believers are living stones in God's spiritual house. They are built up as a spiritual house. They're built on the cornerstone and built to proclaim his excellencies. Verse 9 says, Believers are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That message of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light is the message we just celebrated at Christmas. The true light who gives light to everyone came into the world. Believers should reflect that light. In closing, I want you to imagine this. Imagine a house. It's a grand house, especially when you see it from far away. If you look at it closely, though, you realize that it's made up of millions of tiny stones. Each stone is different. There's all sorts of stones, all sorts of colors and sizes, ones with, with sharp edges, ones with cracks and chips, some that have been rounded by stormy waves hitting them against other rocks. Others formed years ago out of molten lava, which had cooled. Some had been chiseled. Some had been discarded. None of them are perfect. Millions of imperfect stones, but they fit together perfectly and form a magnificent, a magnificent house. And the stone is solid and secure because it's built on a rock, a massive, solid, massive rock, 
because everything is aligned to that rock and because all the stones seem to be supporting each other. And the cool thing is that even though all the stones are flawed and different, together they form an awesome house. It is a glorious house and brings glory to the owner. Well, Peter is telling us that we are these stones. We are living stones in God's spiritual house, and our job is to proclaim his excellencies, the excellencies of him who brought, brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Will you choose to be a living stone in this house and radiate his glory and light? Let me close with a word of prayer. O oh Lord, our God, master of this magnificent house, please help us to be living stones, to radiate your goodness, and to draw others to your house. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let us rise and respond in song. <clears throat>